Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Amen, amen. Hey, welcome out, everybody. We are glad that you're here. Great to be in the house of the Lord, amen. All right, amen. Appreciate Pastor Trish. You know, the, the series we're doing is called He Said. So we're looking at God's word and seeing what he said. How do we build a life on what he said? How do we understand what he said? How do we trust what he said? How do we apply that to our life? And so we thought for the rest of the series that open up a little bit with some of our different pastors sharing kind of how they get in the word of God. I don't know about you, but I like, I like to see that. Number one, I, I personally want to know they are. <laughs> and uh, number two, I like to get new ideas and maybe they'll mention books or study Bibles or something that we can look at then and looking for new ideas. You know, in fact, I said this first service, when I go to different conferences or I'm around other pastors, I'm always the guy asking, how do they spend their week? What does their Monday look like? I'm I'm asking, what book are you reading right now? What do you do do in your quiet time? And so I hope that this will inspire you, encourage you, give you some new ideas because it is so important for you to not have personal devotional time that I believe not only involves prayer or communicating with God, but the word, God communicating with you. And so this month, the month of January, you know, we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're doing a series on you getting in the word. I heard somebody say this one time. uh, We're like airplanes in each wing. One wing's the word and one wing's prayer. We just don't fly right without it. So our hope is to get you flying right this year, flying high into the things that God has for you. So we're looking at things that we can do, getting into the word and in prayer. Amen. So avail yourself to all that. Go online. Look at all that we have to offer on the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Come out for those corporate times if it's at all possible. And even if you have to sacrifice some time to be there, God will honor that. God always honors the sacrifices we make for him. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you in that. John 1, 1 this morning, we are in part two of our series. We just kicked it off the first day last week. We knew it didn't work for everybody in schedule. So I want to encourage you to go online. You can always go online if you're, if you're missing or you're out, or you can go online if you just want to keep going back and listening again and again. I would encourage you to do that especially this series. Obviously, any time that we can be present together is great, but if you can't, then go online and watch it. But we're having a series, as I said, on the Word of God. I'm hoping to establish, that's the foundation of, of inspiring us to have a greater love, placing a greater value, a greater importance on His Word. In fact, just this scripture, John 1, 1, really to me kind of puts it all in perspective. Here's what he says. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... God, God himself calls himself the word of God. I don't know your view of the word of God, but it needs to be the same as your view of God. Come on. That Bible, whatever that looks like, electronically or paper Bible or whatever, when you look at it on your shelf or on the dashboard of your car or on the floorboard, whatever, you know, you ought to kind of guess, change your perspective a little bit and place a value almost like equal to God because God says he is the word. And so I just want to encourage you, let's pick the word up and get into it more and more. Let's love the word of God. Amen? Like we love God. Okay, we need both those things. I think I'm going to have to get this. There's a mic right there. Having a little technical difficulties this morning. I just want to say, I appreciate our technical guys. Can we just give them a big shout out? They just work really hard. They work really hard. So they've been working hard to kind of, sometimes it just, you need a little time to get it done, but sometimes they only get noticed when you hear feedback or something like that on the microphone. And so there's so many things that they do that are great. And this is not their fault. I just want to say that this is not their fault. You want to keep them happy. Can I just say anytime they can actually, oh, sorry, pastor, actually hit the mute button. Sorry about that. Want to keep, but they do a good job, so we appreciate them. Amen. So John 1.1 really puts the Bible in perspective. I, I hope that you really just chew on that one for a while. 
But my heart, my hope in this series is to let the Bible come alive more in our life. We need to apply it to our life. And today in particular, and again, go back if you missed last week, you need to, but today in particular, I'm gonna talk about how do we understand? How can we understand this word? Uh, because just to be honest with you, it is a book that can be difficult at times. I wanna help us uh, navigate through that. I, we wanna learn about the word or the scriptures that are taught. We do that here at Tree Alive. Today, I wanna give you a lot of information and I think it's really important. I want you to open up your heart to receive because I want you to understand the... Um, power and validity of the word of God. Uh, you know, today the Bible's under attack. The word of God's under attack. And you just can look at legislation and I'm amazed. I don't mean any disrespect, but I'm amazed at people, even Christians that are, that are changing belief systems away from the word of God to be in line with politically correct or today's idea. And the, the word never changes. And, and maybe we don't understand that God is the word. <laughs> the word is God. We can't change God. Therefore, we can't change the word. And so the more we understand something, though, the more we'll value it, the more we'll live by it, the more we'll love it, the more we'll connect with it, the more we'll apply it. And so I want you to understand the Bible as an entity, if you will, as a whole, not just uh, the scriptures in it, although that's what we base our life on. And it's so important because of this, Matthew 7, let's take a look real quick. It's so important because of this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's referring to building your life on the word of God. There is no other solid foundation. If you feel that your life is in turmoil, if you feel like the storms of life are rocking your world and your foundation is being shaken to the core, look and see what it's built on. And go back and make sure that you build it on the word of God. It's the only thing that will stand. In fact, God says in his word, let heaven and earth pass away, but one thing will remain, and that is my word. It is the only sure thing we can build our life upon. And so we need to put into practice the things we hear, learn, read from the word of God, and we need to apply them to our life and make sure that we're building the right foundation. And so I wanna jump in uh, today with this, un trying to understand the Bible. And, and again, going back to what you understand more or better, you love more, connect more, operate more. It was like this, let me use this example. I, I love my wife more today than I did when I married her. I, I loved her when I married her, but I understand her more now. I didn't understand her. I thought I understood her until I got married. Then I'm like, what? <laughs> but now I'm understanding her more and more. And that's great because it complements my life and God put us together and I'm understanding it more and more. I think that's just a lesson in life. In fact, I heard this story um, about this man who was taking a walk on the beach and he saw a bottle and he picked it up and it was a genie bottle. So he rubbed it and a genie popped out and said, I'm gonna grant you a wish. And the man said, you know, before I die, the greatest wish of my life is to go to Hawaii but I don't like to fly, and so can you build a bridge? Build a bridge from California to Hawaii, that is my wish. And the genie said, I don't think I can do that because that is a long distance from California to Hawaii and it's the ocean's deep and all the material and concrete and all the things that would take. I just don't think that's possible. Do you have another wish? And the man said, well, if you can't give me that wish, then I guess, could you help me understand my wife better? And the genie looked at him and said, would that be one lane or two lanes? <laughs> so I was like, so I'm gonna hope to help you Talking about genies in church, I want to help you understand the word of God better. I want, to, I want it to come alive in our heart and our life. So I'm going to give you some stuff today that's going to help us understand the word. And let me start by just talking about the word Bible. Just where does that come from? Because you think Bible, that's, that's the Bible. That word's going to be just life-changing. There's going to be deep revelation from this word Bible. But can I tell you, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblios and is really named after a city called Biblis or Biblis which literally means it comes from a city that imports and manufactures paper. 
<laughs> That'll change your life right there. I'm going to do the altar call. We raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, but it is, comes from, Bible comes from that whole dynamic. But you'll notice that the word book, Bible is referred to as the book. The word Bible means, actually the word Bible does mean book. But when the Bible that we know referred to is referred to, it's capital B. It's always capital B because it's not like any other book. It's not like any other book. That's what I hope you understand this morning. So it's capital B. It gives respect and honor to it because it is unlike any other book. And here's some of the reasons why. It's, most, it's the most read book in history. I don't know if you know that, but it is the most read book in history. It's the best-selling book in history. It's the most translated book in history. And all of time marks itself by the word of God. It's not like any other book. And I really want you to open up and learn this today because a lot of times, again, we're pressed and challenged in our belief system today, even by, I'm gonna say this, even by Christians, if you will, and saying that the Bible's not relevant and well, that was written by men and a group of men and so long ago. And I wanna refute that today. Again, number one, the Bible is God. God refers to himself as the word. And then we'll see how this book came about and, and how it is important to our life, especially in today's world. Let's understand it a little bit better. And next week, we're gonna talk about how can I trust what he said? So you definitely wanna come back and bring somebody with you. So let's look at this. The Bible is written over a period of 1,600 years. From the time it be, first began to be written to the time it was ended in its writing, it was a 1,600-year span. That's pretty impressive. It was written over a dozen countries, written in over a dozen countries, written on three continents, and written in three languages, and written by about 40 people. And that's pretty impressive right there. Now, I know I'm going to give you a lot of notes today, but as Pastor Cody already, already said, y'all need to download that Tree of Life app, because the live notes are on there. You're just kind of plugging in the blanks here, and you'll have all that with you. You'll want all that as you talk to people about the validity of the Bible, and why it's still powerful and relevant today. So that's pretty impressive. 1,600-year span, and a dozen countries, three continents, three languages, with about 40 people writing the book. How does that happen, writing the same thing without contradiction? How was the same thing, the same theme written over a 1600 year span with so many people, languages, backgrounds? How does that happen? How, how does that, that work? Now, you would understand that something being written than having the same theme if it was written by one person. That makes sense. Let's just look at some of the other religions of the world. If you're looking at Islam, Muslim, uh, Muslims, Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad, he wrote the Quran. So it would have the same kind of thought process, and theme was written by one guy. If you're looking at Buddhism, which is another major religion of the world, Buddha wrote all that. So it makes sense. It kind of had the same theme. And if you're looking at Confucianism, another big Eastern religion, uh, Confucius wrote those, same author. But how impressive is it that it's the only writing in the history of mankind that spans such a length of time, 1,600 years, has so many different people and so many different moments and still have the same theme consistently throughout it's amazing because it's not like any other book. It is God's inspired. Uh, now listen to this. It was also written by the backgrounds of people. Listen, it was written by poets, or God used poets and prophets and princes and kings and sailors and soldiers, attorneys, doctors, farmers, scholars, shepherds, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, and businessmen. Different backgrounds over different periods of time, all those were used by God to pen this book, all that. So many different people, different ideas, and yet the same theme all throughout. It was written in places like caves, ships, homes, palaces, prisons, and deserts. It was funny, first service I had deserts up there with two S's, desserts, and I thought, I just must have been hungry when I was making that last night, I don't know. 
but written by so many different people in so many different places over such a huge period of time, different languages, continents, countries, you get the picture. It's not like any other book. The question is, how did they come up with the same story? And the answer is, because the 40 different, about 40 different writers, there's about 40 different writers, but there was only one author. Only one author. God was the author of it all. Man held the pen, but God was speaking through them. Amen? So let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Once you understand the Bible, all scriptures God breathed. And when we say God breathed, we studied that last week. It means not only inspired, but it also, those words have the power to fulfill themselves. It's words with power when you study that out. All scripture is God breathed, meaning it has the power also to fulfill them and is useful. Now listen, it just proves it out. It's useful for teaching because it has the power to fulfill, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that... The servant of God, you and I, may be thoroughly, say thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is applicable to every area of our life and it comes with the power to fulfill itself. That's amazing, why? Because it's not like any other book. Because it comes from God. But it has the power to fulfill itself if we will apply it to our lives. In other words, it works in your marriage, it works in your money, it works in your family, it works in your relationships, it works in your parenting, it works in your business, it works in your mind, it works in your body. God's ways work, it works, and I want you to understand it better. So one of the things I think is important to know about the Bible is this, that it is not written in a chronological order. And I don't know if you know that or not, I think probably most of us didn't realize that unless somebody was to tell you, but the Bible is not written in a chronological order. And that's important for us to understand because sometimes when you start reading from Genesis and you're reading all the way down, you're thinking everything's happening right after the next thing. And it's not true. It makes it a little confusing. When you understand how it was written and the order or way it was written in, then it helps you understand the Bible a little bit better. I want you to understand that. And because honestly, there's some chronological Bibles out there. I would encourage everybody, you can go on the YouVersion app, I think, and read the Bible chronologically. And so it'll be jumping around and putting things things in the proper order, and it really is an amazing read. In fact, this last year in 2016, uh, one of my wife's goals was to read through the Bible chronologically, and so she had an app that she listened to it as well as read it together, and I would listen, and we'd do that at night in bed or wherever we needed to do it, and I'd listen to it too, and it would really help me understand it better going through it chronologically. It's not written that way, so understand when you read it, it's not written that way, but I think it'd be interesting for you, and I hope it inspires you or intrigues you enough to go find out ways to read it chronologically, and it helps it kind of flow a little bit better. But let me, let me tell you how it was written, this book that's not like any other. Really, the Bible is grouped by types of book. The Bible's grouped by types of book. And, and again, it, it, it kind of will help you understand the Bible more when we talk about this. Let me give you the first grouping. In the Old Testament, the first five books, we call them the Pentateuch, but they're called the Law. It's another name for the law. The law, or the first five books of the Bible, is the law. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. When you pick up your Bible and you start reading in Genesis through Deuteronomy, and I want you to understand this all because we're talking about the validity of it. We're talking about it being God-written, God-inspired. The first five books of the law, and they were written by Moses, 
And they were called the law because that's when the law was given. But it has the story of creation, has the stories of Abraham, has the stories of Noah, has the story of Moses, Moses and the Ten Commandments coming free from slavery and bondage, God setting them up as a people, all the way up to them entering into the promised land. The first five books are the books of the law and follows the children of Israel, God's people, all the way just short of entering the promised land. The next section is the historical books. There's 12 books, and I'm, what I'm giving them to you is how you'll read them, not chronologically, but it's the next set of books is historical. The next 12 books are historical, and that's Joshua through Esther. So when you read Joshua through Esther, it's the history of God's people from the time they enter the promised land, because Joshua, Joshua crossed the Jordan River and defeated Jericho into the promised land, all the way through Esther, and Esther ends the historical part of the Bible, the historical books. And so this is Israel's uh, history after Moses and after entering the promised land. And again, the end of Esther is the end of the history of the Old Testament. Uh, but there's more, right? When you, look, when you look in the Bible, it doesn't stop after Esther. There's more Old Testament books because it's not written chronologically. So the next set of books you come across are poetical books. Five books that are poetical books. Job through the Song of Solomon are poetical books. Now understand this. Therefore, they fit in the historical books. So when those things happen, you could take a, a poetical book and place it in the proper historical order. So when you're reading the Bible, you're reading groupings, not chronologically. So when you come to these groupings, you would have to see and understand where they fit in. You would take them and fit them in another place in scripture. And so they fit in other sections. And you can read, again, I encourage you to find a chronological Bible. I think it's just cool and fun to read it that way too. Uh, the next section is the prophetical books. This is written by prophets, the prophetical books. There's 17 books in total. There's five major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, and they're called major prophets not because of importance. I, I'm loving this because this is back to my Bible school days. I hope you're liking it. But the five major prophets are not major because of importance because they're bigger books. Just because they're bigger books. They're great books. So you look at Isaiah through Daniel. Those are the five major prophets. And you find 12 minor prophets. Again, not based on importance or significance, but Hosea through Malachi. We know Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Not chronologically, but it is the last minor prophet listed in that grouping. And so you can insert those prophet, prophetical books into the history section where they happen. I'm hoping you're understanding this. Okay, you can put those books into the historical section where they happen. I just want you to understand the Bible so it comes alive more in your heart and your life. Okay, that's the Old Testament and how it was organized. And that helps me, it's helped me, I hope it's helped you. So from the end of the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's 400 years of just kind of silence. What's going on? It's not really recorded in the Bible per se. There's 400 years of complete silence between Old Testament and New Testament. And then we see it's when the Jews came out of exile and came back to Jerusalem, uh, we see in that time the Romans conquered the Jews because the New Testament opens with the Christmas story. Really kind of some other things, but the birth of Jesus. And we know the Christmas story happened the way it did because of Roman occupation. So we pick it back up. During the 400 years, they've been conquered by Rome. Rome occupies them. The Rome's called a census. That's why Joseph and Mary had to go back to their hometown for Jesus to be born because of Roman occupation. But then we get into the New Testament. And let's talk about that for a minute. There's rhyme and reason to everything in the Bible. So the New Testament starts with the Gospels. 
The gospel is another name for gospel is good news. And the reason why it's the gospel or good news is because it introduces Jesus to the world, amen? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels. Now those are four books, the gospels, that are the same, that, that are four different accounts of the same story. So for you to read all the way through, and I hope that you have or do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll read one story by four different accounts based on the individuals. One of them's a doctor, one of them's a fisherman, tax collector. You see that throughout the four gospels. Different. It would be as if four of us saw something happen and we would give an account of it. We all would tell it a little differently. That's the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's the good news because it's tells of Jesus and Jesus coming. The good news, Jesus has come. And so the next, next after that, we see after Jesus is resurrected and ascends to heaven, we see the book of Acts. The book of Acts comes after the gospels and it's the historical record of the first church. So you see the gospels and you see Jesus, uh, death, burial, and resurrection ascends to heaven and you see the church is established, the book of Acts. It's the historical record of the New Testament church. If you wanna know how New Testament church is to be like, read the book of Acts. It's all about salvations. 300 were added to the church. 500 were added to the church. It's all about signs, wonders, and miracles. It's all about the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Some of the things we think, that's a little crazy. Hey, look, read the book of Acts. Come on. It's different than any other book because that is an example or a model for the New Testament church, for the church today, of the New Testament church, the things that we're to be about. That's why it talks about they met together and then they broke bread in houses. That's why this year we're emphasizing small groups or community groups. Why? Because we're following the biblical model. Right there, the biblical model. It's not like any other book. Not just man's good idea. You realize small groups isn't man's good idea. It's the biblical model. It was God's idea. And so we want to be in line with what God wants, amen? And so you see that in the book of Acts. And so we're to model that here. And during this history, during that historical time in Acts, churches were planted and letters were written to these churches and people, and these letters were called epistles. Epistles is a fancy word for letters. So epistles is the next section, and it actually is 21 books. And the 21 books start in Romans, comes after Acts, all the way through Jude. Romans through Jude are 21 epistles or letters written. And all these would be inserted, listen, all these would be inserted in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is the historical record of the church. So you take these letters, which these letters we study all the time. We, we, we learn how to live life by these letters. We learn how to connect with God, how to connect with each other, how to deal with situations. We learn how to do church through these letters. And they all would be inserted in happening in the book of Acts if we read through it chronologically. Like, understand this. It's not like any other book. So, and then it would take us all the way then to the last book of the Bible, which of course, the last book of the New Testament is Revelation. Revelation is a book, has prophecy of the last days and eternity. It's prophecy of the last days and eternity. And so you see uh, how all this is gonna end. You see how all this on earth is gonna end, gonna wrap up as it was revealed to John, one of the disciples, as he was exiled to the island of Patmos as punishment for sharing his faith. And so during that time, the Holy Spirit inspired him in a dream and other ways. And then the book of Revelation was written to wrap up the Bible as a whole and the New Testament. And so I just wanted, I know that seems like, what am I in class again? <laughs> well, yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, my goal is not to just tickle your ears or preach. My, my goal is to take you on a spiritual journey. And I want you to understand the Bible because it's under attack. You need to know it so you can live it, but so you can defend it, honestly. 
<clears throat> it's not like any other book. It's not just a group of men, people. It's not like out of touch with today's world. God knew exactly what he's doing. And I'll show you in just a minute that in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of the New Testament of Jesus. And it reveals everything, speaks to everything. <clears throat> so it's all woven together. However, a 1600 year span that possible because God is the author. And so I hope you it helps you understand the Bible. It does mean the, the power of it, the validity of it, the necessity of it, so we can love it and get into it more. It sparks an interest in you. This, this has really been fun for me because it brings me back to my Bible school day. And sometimes you get a little complacent, a little lazy, and it really inspired me to dig a little deeper in some of the things of God. It really has. And I hope it has you or will continue as we move on, especially next week. So I want to show you something that I learned that will help you I think it helped the story come alive in both the Old and New Testament and see how God wove them together over such a large per long period of time, how they work together. The old is reflected in the new and the new in the old. So let me give you the plot to this book. <clears throat> and really, we're gonna look at kind of a mirror image of Old and New Testament. Let me give you the plot. The whole story begins in Genesis 1, starting in the beginning, Genesis 1. And what happens in the beginning is God and righteous man are in paradise. We know that Adam and Eve are created. They live in paradise with God. It's a perfect environment. That's righteous man. Why? Because sin had not entered the world then. And because it was righteous man, because there was no sin, that meant that a holy God could fellowship with holy man because sin wasn't in the picture yet. So that's man in paradise. That's how God created. That's how God intended. In fact, the garden was perfect. The garden was perfect. The environment was perfect. The relationship was perfect. Everything was perfect because it was God and righteous man in paradise. And that's what God intended. That's why he created it that way. But then in Genesis 3, you can read that. Then Satan and sin enter. Satan and sin enter the world, enter the garden. Sin enters and sin separates. That's a great way to remember what sin does. Sin separates. By saying it that way, sin separates us. Because then all of a sudden sin comes in and no longer can a holy God fellowship with an unholy man. And so there's a gap that's created because sin enters in, there's a gap that's created. Sin creates a gap between man and God. That's why Jesus had to come to bridge that. But there's a gap created. And so there is not fellowship with holiness and unholiness. And so this gap was created. And so the Bible says sin does that. And we've all sinned. And so if you've never had that sin reconciled or paid for or received Jesus, the payment for that, you still feel that gap in you. And so sin became so bad and so chaotic. The world became so full of sin. God decided to start all over. That's it. I'm just starting all over. I found one righteous. He's found one righteous family and that was Noah's family. And he said, I'm going to start all over with you. So if you remember back in the Baptist church, your, your flannel, flannel graph days, right? Your mind, right? That's Noah and the ark that all of a sudden here, God decides to deal with the sin to start over. He takes one righteous family, puts them on a boat with the animals and he, by the flood, wipes out the rest of humanity. He destroys the world by a flood or by water. So I'm giving you the plot. This is how it all walks out. So the world was judged and destroyed. That's the story of Noah and the ark. And so you can read that in Genesis 6, 9. So God says, this is a mess, finds a righteous man to start over with. But it still didn't necessarily work. And over time, man was right back where it was, where he was before Noah. So man decides now, here's man, here's the plot. Man decides now that he can live like God. Who's God anyways? I can be like God. We can be like God. And at that time on the planet, everyone spoke the same language. 
So they all got together and, think, and said, you know what? Who is God? We can be like God. We don't need God. We can be equal to God. And together, they worked to build a tower, the Tower of Babel. Build a tower. We're going to build a tower to God to show him that we don't need him and we're equal to him. So they began to build the tower. But God, instead of wiping out the earth this time, he decided to change all their languages. So all of a sudden, all the languages were changed. The people were scattered. And then you get different people groups and you get different language groups that come from this. And God takes care of it that way and scatters man based on language groups and, and, and just moves them on. And what's crea- what was created there, though, before the scattering or dispersing was one world government system. Everyone came together. We don't need God. We can be equal to God. So they had a one world government system. God comes in, scatters them based on language, disperse them. And so God, uh, what he does then is tries to get things in order with his people. So God identifies his people, the Jewish people, the Israelites. He creates Israel, a nation then. And so he gets his people and he creates a people with them. He gets them together and he creates the 12 tribes. And they're all from Jacob, all the 12 tribes from his 12 sons. And so he gets them together. He brings them out of slavery. He gets them together. He gives them a code to live by, the Ten Commandments. He writes it on tablets and he establishes them as a nation and as a model for the rest of the world. One God giving us instructions for life, for living, to live our life serving one God. And so he sets that up for us to live by and for uh, it to be a model to the world with God's people. And so, listen, that's how you look at the Old Testament. That's all the way up to the end of the Old Testament. That's the plot. But then the Old Testament really showed man that man couldn't do this the way God intended without his answer for humanity. So God brings the turning point from Old to New Testament, and the turning point is Jesus. Amen? Jesus comes to earth on the New Testament. So that's God's answer to this world. You realize, this is what the Bible's revealing, all the Old Testament, you'll see it now in the New. So this is not a book like any other. This is a book written, authored by God. And so over 1,600 years with about 40 authors in different languages and countries and continents. And so now we see the turning point where Jesus comes. He is God's ultimate plan, and he is the hope of the world, and it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So Jesus is the turning point. And I wrote this down, the reason why Jesus is the turning point, and I want you to hear this. I heard somebody say it this way one time. Hell is not a place where God sent people he's mad at. It's a place where people can pay for their own sins if they want to. But you don't have to. Why? Because you see the problem in the Old Testament and you see the answer come, Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus came to take care of it all. He's already paid for it all. Oh, you can pay for it if you want to, but in order to do that, you'll have to voluntarily Go there. God doesn't send people there he's mad at. That's where people go if they want to pay for their own sin. But Jesus took care of that. And so we see the turning point. And Jesus came to pay for our sin. He left the Holy Spirit there so the law is no longer written on tablets of stone. The law is written on our heart. God changes our heart, amen? He changes. He says, I'm gonna change you. He says, instead of having the 12 tribes of Israel, he says, now I'm gonna create a church through the 12 disciples. So no longer is it just the Jewish people, God's people. It's anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, amen? 
And so he creates the church. It's not just Israel or the Jews. In the New Testament, because of Jesus, he creates it for everyone. Everyone can be part of God's holy family. Everyone can be part of the church, amen? Everyone can be part of God's family. I love that, because of Jesus. And so you see the mirror image, the Old Testament now in the New Testament, because of Jesus, God created it for everyone to become a part of that. And God says, I'm gonna do it different. Everyone can be a part of my holy family. I'm gonna write my way of living on their hearts. And you know what? We're living in that time right now. We're living in that church age right now. And you know what? There's an attack against it. There's an attack against the word of God and the validity of it. There's an attack against the church. You know what? And going back to where we were in our Old Testament, there's a widening gap. There's a widening gap between the church and between the world. It used to be closer, 50 years back. The gap didn't used to be so big between, remember your grandparents, didn't used to be so big between the world and church. Now it's a widening gap moving in, in, in here's what we're doing. We're moving towards, go back to our mirror image thing, we're moving towards a one world government. Come on, you don't believe me on that? When you get home, turn on the news. Go look at about all the stuff with Russia and Syria. You know that's prophesied in the scripture. I mean, I don't know where you are with your end time prophecy. I love that stuff. But listen, I mean, you look at the world today and everything is happening with China and Russia and Iran and all in the Middle East and stuff. That's fulfilling Bible prophecy. And you know what? All those things are moving together, moving. We're moving closer and closer to a one world government. You can see it. All the things and how we function and operate. You can see that in the news today. It's not just a scare tactic by the church to get people saved. It's not. It's reality. It's what's happening in the earth today. We're going back. We saw it in the Old Testament. And now God's showing it in the New Testament with the answer Jesus in it, amen? It's not just another book. And so we see God's plan for this world coming back together. And so what God, of course, God sees this happening in the world today and the world's becoming more sinful and chaotic. So he's gonna come again and take the church to heaven. We believe that. He's coming again to take his people out of this crazy, chaotic world. He's gonna come again and judge the world The world was judged and destroyed by water except for one family, a righteous family. But this time the Bible says that God's gonna judge the world after we're already taken out of here. Over time, he's gonna come and judge the world again. But the Bible says by fire. It says that in Revelation. But instead of one family family being saved, there's a remnant, his family. It's not just Noah, one righteous family. It's all of us that know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. We're going to be saved. Not just one family. We're going to be saved. See, the old shows the new. The difference is you add Jesus to the equation. The old shows you the need for Jesus. I love that. I love that. So, so he's come for, he come for his whole family. Instead of destroying the earth, the world by water, he does it this time. He purifies it by fire. Then it goes on to say, The Bible says, and he's gonna bind up Satan and sin. And so where we saw in the Old Testament, Satan and sin entered the world. This is where Satan and sin exit. Because God says he's gonna take care of them once and for all. He's gonna throw them in the lake of fire. So no longer, so will he have an existence? So we saw in the Old Testament where Satan and sin entered the world and God solved the problem with Jesus and Satan and sin is gonna exit the world. And then we get to spend eternity not floating around on clouds, <laughs> but a heaven on earth. The Bible says in Revelation, you can read that in Revelation 20. And it says here, then God and righteous, 
man in paradise. God, we saw in the Old Testament rather, God and righteous man in paradise. Now we're back to the beginning. And now at the end, we'll see God and redeemed man in paradise. And that means all of us that know Jesus as Lord and Savior at the end, you look in Revelation, then we will be in paradise with him again as we started out, as God always intended. See, it's not just a random book of writings, a collection of writings. This is God-inspired, God-breathed, penned by the hands of man, authored by God eternal, amen? And so how it started is how it's gonna end, but it's not gonna just be Adam and Eve, it's the righteous, it's gonna be the redeemed, because our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ through his shed blood, the answer for the world, amen? So all who call upon the name of the Lord. What's interesting to me is in that word, um, that word paradise, if you studied out in the Greek and Hebrew, there wasn't a real good word, translated word. The closest translation for the word, Greek word and Hebrew word of paradise is resort. <laughs> That's what I'm holding on to. Yeah, it's coming to my resort at the end of all this. That's why I'm saying we live in there in a resort. It's gonna be a good place, good time, things are good with Jesus. And so what I just shared with you is how your Bible reads. But here's what you need to know that. You're a part of it right now. You're a part of, you're living Bible history. There's no other book that does that. You're living Bible history right now. It's still being lived out in you and I. It's still being lived out in you and I. Okay, so really quick, I'm gonna close with this. What is the subject then of the whole Bible, the whole book? Jesus is the subject. We know that, we would say that Jesus is the subject of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. Jesus is what your whole Bible's about. And some may say, now hold on, he doesn't show up to the New Testament, you just told us that. He shows up in the middle. But honestly, he actually shows up in Genesis. He shows up, he's there in the creation story. But one of the things I love to say is he was the fourth man in the fiery furnace. You remember the four boys that were, three boys rather, that were thrown in the fiery furnace? And the king said, I see a fourth one in there, he looks like the son of God. He's all throughout the Old Testament. There's over 300, 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus. Jesus said this in John 5, 39, New Living Translation. You search in the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, Jesus says. This isn't just a book written by a collection of writings by men. It's authored by God, and it all points to Jesus, the answer and the hope of the world. The whole thing points to him. So when you read your Bible, you need to go looking for Jesus when you read the Old Testament, you need to go looking for Jesus. When you read the New Testament, you need to go looking for Jesus. Jesus brings the New Testament reality into our lives. He changes us. And Jesus is the subject, and you and I, of course, are the object. So let me ask you this question. So what's the verb of the Bible? And I know many of us are thinking love. DC Talk, love is a verb. They thought that. Okay, so it's close to the foundation of the verb. Love is close to the foundation of the verb. It's the motivation of the verb, but the verb was something even much greater. John three sixteen says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave. That's the verb of the scripture. God gave to you and I the answer for life, Jesus, and the love that he brings. He didn't just have love. He didn't just express love. He gave love to us. So the verb is give. He gave his life so you can give your life. He gave so you can give. If you've received that gift, then give your life away to as many people as possible. Listen, get this. This is the lens that you need to read the Bible through. He gave, so we give. He gave the most extravagant expression of love ever. His son, Jesus, he gave. So what's the appropriate response to that kind of gift? We give. We give what? We give our life. Salvation isn't just joining a church or a movement. 
He gave everything. Salvation's you and I giving everything. When we read our Bible, we need to see how generous he's been to us and see how generous we can be to other people. Closing scripture, 1 John 3, 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. We live to give and that's what your Bible's all about and his name is Jesus, amen? He's a good and faithful God. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.